Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Good morning. I have the privilege of kicking off our new series and it's entitled God Is. Dun, 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 dun. Very exciting. Really, really excited about this series. And uh, very quickly this morning, why are we doing this series? You may be wanting to know what is the thought process behind this. Well, firstly, we finished the series of Jonah a few months back, a few weeks ago. And at chapter 4 of Jonah, Jonah has had this incredible story where he's encountered the grace of God for his own life. God has given him a second, a third, a fourth chance. And then Jonah goes and he preaches and he sees God's grace uh, get the uh, people who, the Ninevites, who are so far from God, encounter His grace. And this amazing story of God's goodness superseding our rebellion and our wickedness. But then we find chapter 4, Jonah is sulking, and he's not happy. And the reason God says, why are you not happy with the situation that I've shown grace to people? And Jonah says, God, I know that you are gracious and compassionate. I know that you are kind. I know that you are slow to anger, abounding in love, showing faithfulness to a thousand generations. I know that you forgive sinners. I know that's who you are. But he says, but I don't like it. Very self-righteous, hypocritical spirit rises up in Jonah. And as we read that, we realize that that often is us. That we know a lot about God, but a lot, the, transform, for the transformation of knowing about God and becoming more and more like Him is often a missing link. Let me explain it this way. Somebody once said that what you think about, about God will shape how you live. A.W. Tozer said this way, he said, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. Let me say it in the very plain English. Everyone has thoughts about God, everyone on planet earth, and that is shaping the way they live. If you are a right-wing fundamentalist named Donald Trump, no, I'm just saying, if you are on that side of the thing, you think that God is a homophobic God, and then in turn you will act that way and you'll be aggressive to people who don't believe the same things you do. If you on the other side are a liberal on this side, they, they, they believe that God is love, and, and how, can a, how can a loving God send anyone to hell? So they start saying, well, if God, God definitely can't be like that, so let's make God to look a little bit more like us. He reacts the way we react. Surely God can't do that. Or maybe if you even are a member of an ISIS fundamental group, the way they believe, they believe God is very angry and they believe that God is vindictive against his enemies. So what they do, that means the way they perceive God to be, that means we strap on bombs and we go and kill people in the name of God. They are shaped by their theology of who God is. Can I tell you even atheists who say there is no God, that is a theological statement. By their denial of God, they say, if there is no God, then I am the moral compass for my life. Can I tell you, no matter what your thoughts of who God is, it will lead to the way you live. And this series is, we want to put some stakes in the ground and start to dig into who God is. God, A.W. Tozer said this in the very beginning. He said, ever since God created us in His image, man has been trying to recreate God in ours. And I want to tell you this morning, if your God looks a lot like you, He's not a God. He's just a figment of your imagination. And I think that's the problem in the church. A lot of us think we know about God, but we actually don't know Him, what He is like. And the problem is that leads to the big accusation of the church is hypocrites. Why? Because we don't know how to respond to a God that we don't really know. 
So that's what we want to do for the next seven, eight weeks. We want to dig into this understanding, this big, grandiose concept of God is and put some theological weight behind us. So is that all right? This is, we're going to do some work in these winter months. We're going to get stuck into who God is. So I want to say, what we're actually going to ask you, we're going to give you homework. Are you ready for that? You came to church, you've got a, a karaoke, and you've got homework. What a great morning. So if you look at the screen, if you can take this down, this is a free resource. It's a, a book called by A.W. Toads. It's a short little book. You can download it for free. It's a PDF format, and it's called Knowledge of the Holy. And I want to tell you, if you have, if you... Can't get it that down in time. Let me tell you, uh, we'll put this up on our, all our social media platforms. We'll put it on our website. But we want to tell you, this book is a short read, but it's deep. And it deals with the character of God. And it's something that we really want to encourage you and push you towards. We don't often recommend books or this, but this is a tried, tested resource. The ancient way of, of a man who's known God. And this is, on, I'll tell you, once you've read this, you've, you've not got yourself on the theological notch next to a lot of other theologians in the world who all rate this book as one of the must-reads. So this is a good one. Put this in your back pocket. It'll shape you. It'll help you. It'll be a great resource as we go through the series. But let me also tell you the greatest resource. I want to encourage us. Let's be a people of the word. I tell you, a lot of us are placing our eternity on Jesus Christ. We're putting our faith that when we die, we'll have eternity with Him. And many of us haven't even read His book. <laughs> wow. Wow. What an indictment. Actually, what stupidity. To be putting your blind faith, but actually not reading His book. So I want to be, let's be a people who read this thing, devour it, and want to know God. There's something inside of every one of us that longs to know Him. And we pray this series and... I pray, especially this morning, which is just an appetizer, just a thing to whet your appetite, to get you to lean into more of the series yeah. and trust that God will reveal himself to you and you and I will never be the same. Yeah. One glimpse of him. Yeah. We pray that will wreck us forever. Can you turn your Bibles? Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 to 15. We're going to read some scripture this morning, then I'm going to preach, and then I'm going to go to Milmerton. Exodus chapter 3, this is a fundamental passage in most theologians' canon when they're trying to understand and grapple with God. This is a great place to start. Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to read from verse 1 through to 15. This is a great portion of scripture because it's a dialogue between a man named Moses and his first encounter with God, and God speaking to him, and God giving revelation of who he is. So let's read it. It'll be on the screen behind me as we go. Chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard the cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt. 
into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me and have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, uh, Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I'm the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, what, they will ask me, What is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Let's quickly pray. Father, I pray as we open up this this passage of Scripture this morning, I pray in these brief moments, would you stir in us a desire, a longing to know you. God, I pray there would be a, a sense to go beyond where we've gone before, God, to put aside our, our, our theological notions of, of, of how we've boxed you in. God, may in this series, would we release the, 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 the fact of us trying to hold the box together. I pray, God, for the newest believer here, would you shape our view of God. Those who've been following you for years, would you shape us with fresh revelation of who you are. And I pray, Father God, For those here who are even examining the claims of Christ, who are standing at a distance, I pray to God would be the appetite for the the God Almighty, the one true God, stir in our hearts. Father God, we thank you that what we believe of you will lead to how we live. So we lean into your scriptures this morning. Amen. Amen. If it's alright with you, I'm going to skip a lot of stuff and just go straight into the text. So very quickly, I've got three suppositions before we get to verse 13, 14, and 15, which are the crux of this story. Just very quickly, number one behind me, this is what God does when He's wanting to interact with us. God meets us in our weakness. Very quickly, you've got to put this in and trust me as we go on this journey. But I love this fact that, that Moses, very quickly, the theologians tell us that Moses' life was broken up into three distinct parts. Forty years as the prince of Egypt in the palace. Then, because he murdered somebody, he was on the run, he had to run for his life, and he spends the next 40 years in the wilderness in Midian with his father-in-law and just looking after sheep. Then after this moment, the last, the God does something in his life, and the last 40 years, he spends as the deliverer, the, the Martin Luther King Jr. type figure for people, let my people go, and leading people into triumphal, triumph, triumph after triumph after triumph into the promised land, or just onto the edge of the promised land. So that's how you categorize Moses' life. But I love this, that actually God, when he first speaks to Moses, it wasn't in the first 40 years in the palace. God and Moses' relationship was not, was not relational until he was in the wilderness, until he was forgotten by a people, until he was really just going about the run of the mill, the ordinary, looking after sheep. Can I tell you, if I was God, and it was up to me, I would have spoken here in the palace, and I could have saved a lot of time in the story. But I'm not God. 
And His ways are better than our ways. And this is the incredible thing that I love to remind us very quickly. That when it feels like nothing good is happening in your life, when it feels like it's just going through the run of the mill, going through the motions, when you're feeling actually when your resources are running out and you're having to dig deep for every day, can I tell you, that is the perfect time for God to speak. And that is His pattern in Scripture. Can I tell you, let's not despise the so-called wilderness times of our lives. Can I tell you, between chapter 1, there was chapter 2 and chapter 3, but for chapter 3 to be glorious, Moses had to go through chapter 2. And a lot of us have weak theology, so we often throw that away. We, don't, we despise these moments. We despise hardship. We despise even being forgotten, seemingly forgotten by God, forgotten by people. Can I tell you, if you sing here and you feel, my best days are behind me, I want to tell you what God wants to do in this moment, this series it says, lean into me. Sometimes he needs to strip everything away so that only him and I remain. Can I tell you, let's not despise these moments. I, I tell you, this incredible moment, just because I know this so well, vividly, because my father, chapter one in Zimbabwe, was glorious. He had a great job. He raised an amazing family. Just saying, we really cool. <laughs> he built his own home. It was an acre property. We had townhouse. He was acquiring all the stuff. Unbeknownst to us, stuff happened in Zimbabwe politically, and we had to leave the country, move to South Africa. My dad in his mid-50s, every, a CV as long as you can imagine, with connections all over the country, gets to South Africa, and he can't find a job. We live in the back in the flats of other people's homes for over a year. And my dad going, I've served you, God. What's happening here, God? It's not making sense. Can I tell you? God meets us in our wilderness. Can I tell you, if it wasn't for that time, I don't believe I would be standing here. Because what God does, God sets us up. Chapter 3 is glorious because chapter 2 goes deep. Allow Him to go deep in your chapter 2. Find confidence in that today. Second point about God, going through the story. God meets us at our faith. I love this. Moses is there tending his sheep. It's the run of the mill, ordinary day. And then there's a burning bush. Just, and it's not being consumed, just burning. And I love it. Just a little phrase there. So Moses says, amazes us. And he says, I'm going to go over and have a look. And it says, only when that, if you look at the next verse, it says, when the Lord saw that Moses was coming to have a look, he spoke to him. Can I tell you, I, I, I love that, because we still serve a God who rewards those who seek him. Can I tell you, God says, if you seek me, you, I'll be found by you. This is a series that we really believe is a series we're wanting to push in. If you've got a, a minuscule amount of faith, I want to tell you, just come have a look. Just come have a look at God. Keep coming. If, if all your faith is, I'm just going to come for every week of the series, do that. If, if your faith is, I'm going to actually start reading the Word of God, I've never done that before, do that. But whatever you do, take a little step of faith and watch what God will do in your life. Yeah. We still believe in a God who says, if you ask, you will receive. We still believe in a God who says, if you seek, you will find. We believe in a God who says, if you knock, the door will be answered to you. People often say, God's not speaking. I say, are you listening? This is a series we're wanting to engage with. Thirdly, third presupposition in the story is that God meets us with a mission. God, in his chat with, fireside chat with Moses, says, Moses, I have seen my people's plight. I've heard their cries, and it has not left me unmoved. God is moved by people's distress. He is moved by our pain. He is moved by our, 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 our sin. He is moved by it, and God says this, I've heard, I've seen, I have come down. It's almost in a moment where God has seen these years of abuse of his people. And he just at one point said, enough! I'm going to stand in the gap. I'm going to make a plan. 
And I love this. And I can imagine Moses, who was a very patriotic person, loved his people, saw their plight, but it, it found, I can't do anything about it anymore. Probably hearing God say, I want to rescue them. I'm going to uh, take them out of Pharaoh's grasp. I'm going to lead them into the promised land, a land flowing of milk and honey, a spacious land. I can imagine Moses going, yes, God. Yes, do it, God. Do it. And then verse 10 says, and you will lead them out. <laughs> no, God. No, God. It's like this incredible thing, but I love the fact that God swings the conversation and he's always, God is always looking for someone. Who will he use? And I believe this is a series as God reveals himself to us that he's going to inspire us that this thing about God is not just about him alone and us and our response to him, that he's saying, I want others to know me. Will you lead them to more of me? Three presuppositions in the series, very quickly. But then we get to our big moment, where big Mo here in this, in this, in this interchange with God, suddenly self-doubt grips him when God says, that's you, buddy, you're on, the, you're on the starting lines. And he suddenly says, no, 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 can't be. Who me? Couldn't be. Then who? No, it's like, no, it's not me. I'm not the guy. And, and Moses answers God with this first thing. He says, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Legitimate question. Who am I to, be, to appear before Pharaoh? He was basically saying, I'm very aware of my disqualifications, God. Let me tell you, in the presence of God, we, get, we become very aware of our weakness. We become very aware of our flaws. We become very aware of how we sure, uh, fall short. I don't know about you, but I've said often that I'm not educated enough. I've said that. I've said often I don't have the resources, God. I've often said I don't have the gifts. I don't have the track record. I don't have the energy. I don't have the emotional capacity to deal with this right now. I'm a man often full of excuses fall off my lips very easily. Self-confession time. I am. So much so that if I'm very honest, even as I've wrestled with this text this week, I've tried to get, find a different text to preach from many times because I'm not... This is a deep text, God, if I'm honest. I've tried. I wrote a different sermon yesterday that changed back. Like, oh, I can't get away from this text because I'll make excuses very easily about my, my level. But I love this response of God. He says, God, it's not me. I'm not the guy. I'm very weak. I can't speak properly. I, I, I've murdered a guy. You know my track record, God. It's not me. And I love how God answers them. If I was God, it's pep talk time. Like, listen, Mo, come here, buddy. You are a good guy. Come on, man. You can do it, Moses. Dig deep, buddy. Come on. Third quarter, we can win it. We're going for the win. People, Israelites, come on. We can take them to freedom. Come on. Gladiator type speech. What you do today will echo into eternity. Eternity. Yeah, that's what I would do. And I can imagine probably would have got him fired up for a little bit. But this is what God does. Moses says, ah, it's not me. Who am I? And God says this. I know. I will be with you. Boom. Huge. There's no pep talk. There's no mention of Moses. But the greatest confidence God can put in his, his warrior who's going to lead his people, his representative who's leading a nation to freedom, is not telling him how great he is, but saying, I will be with you. <laughs> that is confidence. Can I tell you, I want to remind you that it's not what's inside you, it's who's with you. Oprah tells us. <laughs> Dig deep. Search. Every one of you has got some gold in you. Can I tell you, the deeper you go, the more rotten I find I am. But that's why the gospel doesn't say it's within you. He it says it's me. It's not in you. It's in the who is with you. 
And this is the gospel, God proclaiming the gospel to Moses, saying, despite you, I'm going to be with you. Despite your murder, despite all the, the flaws that you've got physical and all around, spiritual all around you, despite 40 years in the wilderness being out of touch, can I tell you, I will be with you. And we believe this, that we believe in a God who is always present, who doesn't disengage when it's tough. Can I tell you, it's his presence that distinguishes us as his people. When I was a little boy, um, we used to play cricket at the back garden in Zimbabwe. Um, I would often have to bowl or play wicketkeeper for hours. And, but when I did get my one chance to bat, my brothers would come and, and, and we, we played cricket down the back there, the back garden. We had a milk can for our stumps and we couldn't play many offside shots because that's where the kitchen windows were. So we had to play on the leg side. Just a little fact for you there. That's why I'm strong off my legs, you know? Not very weak on the offside. But... Um, what happened was, there was we had a, a wooden fence next door and we had neighbors next door who had these Rottweilers. I am terrified of Rottweilers. And snakes, let's put them out there. Hate them. But Rottweilers were next door and, uh, and what would happen to my brother Simon was he was a little bit of a show off so he would try and show me how quick he was so he would push the, the ball a little bit quick down the leg it would fly over my head and go over the, over the fence and we lost our ball. You know, you know usually that we, in Zimbabwe we just would have to treasure that one, one ball till next Christmas. You know, so we... What are we going to do? I, we didn't have a sportsman's warehouse today. You know, we, we didn't. But so what happened was we'll do ching chong cha, but actually it was always rigged. The youngest guy always goes over anyway. So I remember my brothers whispering and I sneaking over the fence and they're going, okay, listen. And we just see the balls out there, just sitting, just innocently on the, on the grass. Just there, just there, you know, within, almost within reach. And you're on top of the, the wooden fence saying, okay, I'm going to go. You guys watch my back. And the brother's like, yeah, we got you. We got you. Dude. You go over. And, and we're ready, if the, the dogs, look, it's nowhere, it's nowhere to be seen. Yeah, cool. And then I'll get down. The Rottweiler's name was Sheba, by the way, Sheba. And uh, we'd start walking across the gently, brothers. And as I pick up the ball, my brothers, in true older brother fashion, would start hitting the fence. Sheba! Sheba! <laughs> and just, you hear that wind, you hear that wind come around the corner. Woo! That thing is coming. Yo! I tell you, Usain Bolt can do 100 meters very quickly, but you haven't seen Gabe Phillips being chased by a Rottweiler yet. My gosh. I was over that fence in one go. It was, just, it was amazing to see, but it's, it's a phenomenal thought. But I think that often we think God is like that. God is calling us to a big mission. I don't know if it's me, but I often, or I feel God's in this moment, but when I step out for him, I, I, I lean back into my own resources. I'm left alone, high and dry. Or I think maybe if we don't think that way, I feel we live that way. We feel the presence of God is relegated to when the keyboard player is playing at church and when there's a prophetic word or a moment. But actually, we believe in the presence of God who is always with us. Can I tell you, true discipleship is, becoming to, is learning to be aware of, and, uh, aware of and being connected to the Spirit of God at all times. Knowing that and understanding this is not mystic theology. This is who we are as Christians and I think we just forget. I want to remind you again and again that if you're saying, I'm having to dig deep this week, how am I going to engage with my boss? How am I going to engage with my grumpy neighbor? How can I start to lead my family when I've got such a track record of falling short so often? But this series, I need to step up to the plate and start leading them spiritually. My wife and I have had fights. How am I going to step up to the plate? Can I tell you, your greatest confidence is this, God is with you. And if he's calling you to something great, he says, I'll be with you. And we've got to start to being aware and understanding this. I am with you. This, the conversation switches. So, so from that stage, Moses realizes he can't really argue with God there. So he goes, all right, all right, fine. You're with me, great. But he says, God, 
if I, if I go to them, what do I say? Basically, God, who are you? Who are you? What do, who do I tell them? The burning bush, what do I say? How do I explain this? He actually says, what is your name? Profound question. This is huge because when you say, what is your name? In the, Christ, in the biblical times, in the Jewish times, they understood that when you said, what is your name? It was basically, it wasn't just saying, what is your name? I'm Fred. Ah, cool. Thanks. Nice to meet you, Fred. No, it was actually asking, what are you like? Because names in the Jewish tradition held bigger weight than just uh, uh, something we read off the back of a cereal box. Or a name that, we, that, that Kanye and Kim named their child, so we're going to name our child North as well, because it's quite fashionable. No, it's, it's much bigger than just picking something out of a hat. This was, the names had carried weight. It carried character, ability, and mission. And so often, that's why when God meets with someone in the Bible, often what will happen straight off that, he will change their name. Abram, after his first encounter with God, God said, you now shall not be called exalted father anymore. You shall be called Abraham, father of many nations. And destiny was changed. That's why, because names carried more than just identification of who you were. Carried destiny. That's why Jacob, who was known, the name Jacob means deceiver. For years he lived in the fruit of his name. He deceived, and he was deceived. That was his whole life. He was wrestling all the time with his insecurities himself, trying to make it one foot up in life, until a moment he wrestles with God, and God says, from this moment, you won't be called Jacob, deceiver anymore, you'll be called Israel. And do you know what Israel means? It means God fights. Where you've had to fight and scrap and save, God changes his name. So it's huge. Names carry destiny. And this is so powerful because when we, uh, when we come with, into the weight of God, when he says, what is your name? God doesn't say, my name is Fred. And I'm really nice. No, he doesn't come with that. God says this phrase that is perplexed and enticed and, and invited much discussion and adoration and and thinking by theologians and Christ followers for centuries and centuries and centuries, he said these phenomenal words. He said this, I am who I am. What's your name? I am who I am. It can be rendered a different way. It can say, I will be who I will be. Basically, what God was saying in this moment, he was saying, God is who God is. As we go through the series, we're going to be saying God is and filling in the blank. God is something and ex- ex- wrestling with that. But today, we're stopping with God is, full stop. The height, the most, the height and the most basic and ultimate phrase in the scriptures about God is that God is who God is. I am who I am. This phrase is so incredible. Why? Because of spe- God was speaking to Moses in a pluralistic society. They had many gods. He came from Egypt where there was gods of the sun, gods of the soil, gods of fertility, gods of this. There were many gods, and many gods even in the, in the Jewish community. And that's why the word for Lord or God was El, E-L. And up to this time, God had only revealed himself to, to Abraham and Isaac as El Shaddai, God Almighty, or, or Elohim, God, Lord God. He had introduced himself in with his title. But God shifts the conversation and says, this is who I am. And he says this word that will appear on our screen. He says, I am Yahweh. God has a name. Yahweh. Now, we've put the vowels in for ourselves, but in, 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 the, in the Jewish culture, it was spelled it was without vowels. Y-H-V-H. 
Yahweh. And it's so holy, they almost didn't say it. 4,500 times this name, this way is said in the Bible, in the Old Testament, 4,500 times Yahweh. Now, in, our, if in your Bible, you might see they won't even have the word Yahweh, but they'll have Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, and capital D, Lord. When you have all caps, they've replaced the word Yahweh there. Because it actually doesn't translate properly into our English language. But when you see those capitals, you know God is saying His name. It's not just Lord, I'm, I'm Lord God. That's El Shaddai, that's Elohim, that's even Jehovah. But when He says Yahweh, I am who I am. Yeah. We're getting somewhere. Stick with me. This is a little bit heady. But I want to explain what He's meaning. Three things very quickly today. When God says, I am Yahweh, what is He meaning? That name is marked by three things. Number one, when He says He's Yahweh, He's saying, I am marked by sufficiency. Let me explain that very quickly. He's saying, I have been and I will always be. He's saying, I have I never had a beginning and I'll never have an end. You know that question your kids ask you or if you've been a kid? Mom, who made God? It's, it's a tough one. It's almost as hard as who made Donald Trump. I don't know. No. But I, I want to say, when you say, who made God? Can I tell you a few wise you'll say, no one? But with a shrug, because we're not too, our brains can't even understand that He frames all of eternity. This God we serve is a God while He was, He is, and He will be. This is huge. He doesn't lead us to enough. He's not a God who is a means to an end. He is the end. He is the ultimate. He is enough. When He says, I am who I am, He's saying, I am the more than enough. And this is profound, because it means also that He depends on nothing. You know, God doesn't depend on His solar system for His power. He doesn't depend on some external force. He is the force that all life comes from. If there was anything else He depended on, that thing would be God. But God depends on nothing. He says, I am who I am. I am more than enough. I am all sufficient, self-sufficient, self-sustained within Himself. He doesn't even need us. Can I tell you, I love, you know, there's often people who talk, God made man and, and, and woman because He was lonely. He was not. God, if he was lonely, would cease to be God. God is sustained in himself. This is big stuff. And we'll understand where we're going. Second point, Yahweh is marked by consistency. Firstly, by sufficiency. Secondly, by consistency. Basically, when he says, I am who I am, he's saying, I never change. Wow. Wow. My wife sometimes changes three times in the morning. Her clothes. No? But I want to tell you, God says, I never change. I want to tell you what this means. Nothing in all creation takes him off God and backs him into a corner. We might have to act out of character or compromise his integrity. The scriptures tell us he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. This, this thing that God is consistent, his character never changes. The, he, Isaiah tells us he doesn't grow faint and he doesn't grow weary. Yeah. God doesn't feel, oh, I've poured out a lot today. No, He's consistent. He's consistently giving and pursuing and pushing and leaning into the, the grace of God, to, of, of who He is. I want to tell you, Exodus uh, 34 tells us that when He says, Moses asks a question, now show me your glory. God says, I'm going to show you I'm gracious and compassionate. When, God, when Moses says, show me your glory, He says, I'm going to show you my character. 
I'm gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love, abounding in faithfulness to a thousand generations, forgiving the iniquities and sins of, of rebellious people. When God declares who He is, He's saying this. He's not saying I'm compassionate some of the time. He says, I am always compassionate. I am always gracious. I've always been and I always will be. I will always be forgiving sins of those who have fall, fallen short of me. That is who He is. He says, I am who I am. And can I tell you why this is massive? Is that kingdoms can rise. But I tell you, kingdoms will fall. The Roman Empire rose and it came with all this might and tried to crush our religion out. It tried to crush out Christ followers. It took brothers and sisters like you and me and bound us up and whipped us and made us sport for the entertainment. And we were the laughing stock of the world. But I am who I am. Rome rose. Can I tell you, Rome fell. But God stood. And the church kept moving forward. The gospel, can I tell you, ISIS will rise. With a mighty thump, they'll make their mark over Europe and put terror in the world, in the nations. But can I tell you, I am who I am. Can I tell you, this is huge because if economies fail, your marriage fails you, your own emotions fail you. I am who I am. I am consistent. I never change. I never will. And it's not some quid pro quid pro quo thing where if you do this, God will do this. God says, I am. He's not needing your participation in his character. I am who I am. Thirdly today, it's marked by intimacy. Yahweh is marked by sufficiency, consistency, and thirdly marked by intimacy. God gave himself a personal name. What is your name? He goes, Yahweh. Basically, he gave him, like, it's like Gabe, it's like John, it's like Bongani, it's, like, it's a name. Why this is massive is because up to this time, he had, when God revealed himself, he gave his title. El Shaddai, God Almighty. Elohim, the Lord God. But in this instance, he says, Yahweh. Yeah. This is huge, this is amazing, because a title, if I introduce myself and I say, I am a pastor, I am a doctor, that's my title, Dr. Somebody. But God didn't come with his title. He came with his name. It's a personal, intimate name. The, the ancient scholars, you see, actually, they, they wrestled with it and said that the actual spelling of Yahweh without the vowels original is the Y, Yod. That's the, the, the Jewish letter Y, Yod, V, uh, H, which is He, V, which is Va, and the second H, He. Yod, hey, va, hey. They said the way he says it is actually in a breathing tone. Yod, hey, va, hey. The breath of God. When God said and introduces his name like this, he was using Genesis 2 language. What happened in Genesis 2 was man who was inanimate, who had nothing, was crafted from the dust of the earth. God came into that space and he breathed into Adam the breath of God. Yod, hey, va, hey. The man saw Yahweh, the self-sustained, self-consistent, the, the one, the intimate one who calls him into himself, into his life and says, walk with me. When God said his name was Yahweh, it was an invitation for us as a people to engage with him. Not from a distance, but up close and personal. Landing this today, why is this important for us to even know? In John 8, 
There's a scripture where Jesus, he is talking and wrestling with uh, the, the Pharisees and they're wanting to pin him. They're wanting to pin something on Jesus. And they try, because Jesus is irritating them. Jesus is saying controversial things and they get to this scripture behind me. If you'll come up now. It says, the people said, you aren't even 50 years old, Jesus. How can you be saying these things? Basically saying, who are you, Jesus? How can you say you've seen Abraham? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. At this, they wanted to stone him. Why? Why was it so inflammatory? Because he was using Exodus 3 language. He was saying, I am who I am. Can I tell you this? And this is not a massive leap, but for some, maybe it is. Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is God. This is massive because what is this saying? When Jesus said this, he says, you have a Savior who is sufficient. His blood is sufficient for you and I. Can I tell you, there's no sin that can go beyond the more than enough of God. There's no depth of your depravity that can go beyond the I am who I am. I am sufficient. My blood is sufficient for you. Can I tell you why this is amazing? When Jesus said, I am who I am, and they wanted to stone him. This is huge because he says, my blood is consistent for you. It doesn't lose its effectiveness. It doesn't. It doesn't after a while lose a shine. I need to try it again. I've fallen so far from God. How do I get back? He says, I am who I am. My blood is still consistent for you. Can I tell you why this is huge? His blood is still intimate, calling us to the Father himself. Final leap with me today. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10. Paul finishes with this. He says, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecute the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace to me was not without effect. Can I tell you, this is, for me, mind-blowing and, and invitational. That Paul was not saying, Paul was not leaning into his weakness like Moses. Moses, he was honest like Moses, I'm unqualified. First one to put up our hands. I am unqualified. But he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Now, this is not flippant language by Paul, who knows the Jewish and deep roots of his faith. I am who I am. Paul is saying that I am because I am. I get to stand because I do not have the sufficiency to do it. I do not have enough in my resource tank. I do not have enough to keep going. I do not have enough to make a difference in this world. I do not have enough to be the father that God has called me to be. I do not have enough to be the husband. I do not have enough emotions. I do not have enough resources. I don't have enough self-control. But can I tell you, I am is enough. You can say, I I, I don't have enough consistency. I'm up and down all the time. My emotions are like this. I'm a roller coaster. You don't know if I'm coming or going. It's like, I, I feel I'm all over the place. Can I tell you, I am is enough. He is consistent for you. And can I tell you right now in this place, if we pick up the intimacy of God, the call of Yahweh, Yod, Vah, Hey, Vah. Yahweh, if we pick up that call and lean into Him, can I tell you, you will never be without enough. You'll never be without a call to consistency. What does this mean in landing today? I pray in this series that you and I would lean into the face of God Lean into the breath of God. Lean into his invitation to know him as the all-sufficiency, the all-consistent one, and the one who calls us to intimacy like no one else. Can we pray?
Father, in this moment, as we respond to you, Jesus, I pray, Father God, that this is a stirring in our souls. We are not satisfied with small things. We're not satisfied with trite things. We're not satisfied, God, with just run-of-the-mill religion. We're not satisfied with knowing you from a distance. We're not satisfied from just knowing about you. We want to know you. I pray in this moment, God, that you're stirring the souls of men and women here who are not just trying to do Christianity, but who want to lean into the ancient, lean into the all-sufficient one, the one who was, who is, and is to come. God, I pray the bigness of who you are to overshadow us, to overshadow our insecurities, to overshadow our fears, to overshadow every weakness we hold on to, Father God. I pray today that our response would not be, who am I? But it would be, who are you? And I pray in this moment you'll bring revelation to every one of our hearts that you're all sufficient, all consistent, and calling us to intimacy with you. I pray, Father God, as we respond now with one last song, Would you awaken our hearts? We love you, Jesus, and we step forth with faith into this journey of discovering who you are, knowing that if we see you, it will change how we live. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.